0: Hello and welcome to episode number 194 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I am Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books. With me today is Dr. Kristen Nielsen Donnelly. She is an independent researcher who is studying women and religion in Northern Ireland as well as religion and popular culture like video games and romance novels. She is currently conducting sociological research into the intersection between romance novels and sex. This project began after many conversations with her mother about the sex scenes that her mother does or does not like reading. We also discuss growing into and out of religious communities, the portrayal of religious people and people of faith in the romance genre. And Kristen has a ton of recommendations specifically for readers who might be looking for romance and fiction set in contemporary Ireland. Her husband is Irish, and they've recently moved back to the U.S. after living there, so she has got a bunch of recommendations if Irish set fiction is your jam. If you're thinking, after you listen, ah, I would really be interested in taking this survey, you can totally do that. I will have a link to the survey, and she would be delighted if you completed it, although you're not obligated to. That'll be in the show notes for this episode at sb-tb.com podcast. This episode is sponsored by Love Swept, publishers of Good Girl by best-selling author Lauren Lane. In this steamy contemporary romance, country music's favorite good girl hides away from the world and finds herself bunking with a guy who makes her want to be a little bad. Jenny Dawson moved to Nashville to write music, not get famous, but when her latest record goes double platinum, Jenny's suddenly one of the town's biggest stars and the center of a tabloid scandal connecting her with a pop star she's barely even met. With paparazzi tracking her every move, Jenny flees to a remote mansion in Louisiana to write her next album. The only hiccup is the unexpected presence of a brooding young caretaker named Noah whose foul mouth and snap judgments lead to constant bickering and some serious heat. You can find Good Girl by Lauren Lane on sale wherever ebooks are sold. And the podcast transcript this month is sponsored by Everything Under the Heavens, book one of Silk and Song by Dana Stabenow. Joanna flees her homicidal stepmother in Kambalak, the storied city of Kublai Khan, and sets out on the Silk Road with companions Joffrey and Shasha in search of her fabled grandfather, Marco Polo. You can find Everything Under the Heavens for free on Amazon, Kobo, and iTunes, and 99 cents on Barnes & Noble. Our music is provided by Sassy Outwater. You can find her on Twitter, at Sassy Outwater. I will have information as to who this is at the end of the show. And if you're thinking, I really like this podcast, or I really like the transcripts, or both, and you would like to support the show, I would like to ask you to have a look at our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Listeners who might want to contribute can make monthly pledges starting with as little as $1 to help me reach some goals like commissioning transcripts for all the episodes that don't have one. You can see all the options at patreon.com slash pitches. And at the end of this episode, I have compliments coming up for some of the folks who have pledged to support the podcast every month. Thank you for doing so. Thank you for having a look at the Patreon campaign if you've taken a look at it. And thank you to everyone who encouraged me to set this up in the first place. And now, without any further delay, on with the podcast. I want to ask you about your work with the sort of the intersection of religion and sex okay so I have a few questions but I was hoping you could just start by introducing yourself and explaining what your research is sure yeah please Um, do
1: okay well um, my name is Dr. Kristen Nielsen Donnelly Um, I'm a director of research and personnel at a company in Philadelphia Um, and for the past um, probably 15 years, uh, both as a high school student, college student, graduate student, PhD candidate, and general professional nerd. I've been really interested in how uh, religion, specifically Christianity, because that's my home and where I am most versed, talks about and deals with the female body in all sorts of various ways, through abuse, through um the promotion of motherhood against all other priorities, um, the celebration of the female body, just like the wide gamut that you get. Um, and so for my some of my masters and my PhD research, I focused on the intersections of gender and religions, sp- specifically with self-identified Protestant women um, or formerly self-identified Protestant women um, huh. and how they navigate um navigate their bodies um and primarily because we I tend to do research um my first chunk of research was with women a little bit closer to my age we of course ended up talking about sex of course because that's how it goes and then I also was in seminary for a while with a whole and I went to an evangelical undergraduate um with a whole lot of christian girls sitting around who have never had sex but Lord alive. Did we like to talk about it? Um, <laughs>
0: yeah. And,
1: and, uh, the more I interact with, with girls, our age and other religions that have, have, uh, opinions about female sexuality, the more I find that that is really true. Um, I mean, I spent a year teaching sex ed, um, as, as a, a youth worker, um, overseas. I've been a youth worker for a lot of years and we just talked about sex a lot. Um, And so both like personally and professionally in a lot of different professional hats, I would say that I'm really interested in this. Um, So like right now I'm actually in the process of, I just launched the survey this morning of trying to get respondents um, from all over the world of people who are, uh, who would identify as people of of some sort of faith, um, institutionalized faith in, whatever god you want to identify with, but just somebody who would call themselves a religious person and how they deal with sex scenes and romance novels to try to discern if that has an effect on how people enjoy vicarious fictional sexual intercourse, um, or if it's something that they have tension about, or if it's something that it doesn't matter at all. So
0: that's kind of a basic overview, I guess. So there are a lot of depictions of sex like everywhere overt and subtle and metaphoric and pretty obvious yes why romance novel sex scenes why the particular intersection of faith and romance sex like why that particular portrayal well i think some of it is that i grew up with reading romance novels with
1: and as with a mug, you do as I do um and when I went to Christian school I hid them for sure
0: as you do uh-huh.
1: I had <laughs> I as, like senior year I remember I was in a room by myself and the ceiling tiles were pretty easy to push up and so that's where I kept my books
0: oh um that's yeah. a good why didn't I think of that that's <laughs> a good hiding place yeah yeah
1: and it's it it isn't like I would have gotten in trouble it was just the idea of I absolutely would not have gotten in trouble um, but the idea of shame that, co- that I felt would come with that. Um, additionally, my mother, who is a uh, person of deep faith, is who turned me on to romance novels. Hmm. Um, and she, for instance, for her birthday this year, we're going to Nora Roberts' B&B um, oh, together because we're really excited about gonna that. Oh, going to love it. Oh, we can't wait. Just um, wait
0: until you use the toilet. Okay,
1: well, we're in the Jane and Rochester room, so. Um... Uh,
0: every toilet in that inn is a state-of-the-art Japanese toilet. I believe it's Japanese, and it like it is incredible. There's a washer and a dryer, and it, the seat goes up automatically. When you walk in the room, like, hello, no, nothing? Okay, I'll just put the lid back down. I I brought my husband to the bed and breakfast because we couldn't think of something else to do for our 11th anniversary and my mother-in-law was taking the kids and I was like, all right, we're going to Boonesboro so you can use the toilet. That's what we're doing.
1: You know, there are worse reasons to go worse
0: places. It's a perfectly acceptable reason to go. And the 11th anniversary is now the magical toilet anniversary and everyone can get involved.
1: I like it. I'll, I'm I'm coming up on anniversary four, so I will mark down yes, the 11th anniversary. Toilet. Toilet. Magical. Toilet anniversary. Toilet the, magical. Toilet anniversary. Yes. I love
0: it. I think wow. it's awesome that you're taking your mom, by the way. That's just so oh, awesome. Thanks.
1: I'm really excited about it. I mean, because she's who taught me how to read, really. Like, not only how to physically read, but how to read, how to live in with characters, how to enjoy stories, how to sit with other people's real life stories, because you've already learned to sit with like fictional people's stories.
0: And how um, to practice empathy and how to absolutely. listen.
1: Absolutely. I mean, part of my training is a social worker. Um, and I was, every time I now lecture or teach about social work or even teach my classes in sociology, I always use fictional stories. I use YouTube clips and things like that because that's how, you know, it's a, there's a safe distance in fictional characters. You can put yourself in someone's fictional brain a lot safer than you can put yourself in your own sometimes. Um, so why, why, but back to my mother, like the sex scenes are not her favorite part. Like she reads, she just skips over them. Um, and, and there are ones that I read now I review for a couple different blogs kind of as a hobby. And I, I run my own romance review blog as well, just for fun. And there are things that like, I'll say in my reviews, like this would not be my, this is not for my mother (laughs) or this is definitely (laughs) for my mother. Um, and so I, I wondered if there was a whole lot of other women like her. Who love who love romance, but because of their their views of sex and their understandings of sex are deeply informed by their faith, um, which is definitely her. Um, how they negotiate that? Because in a book, it's really easy to skip over a few pages. Oh yeah, you just flip past them.
0: My, the person uh, the person who first introduced me to romance had dog-eared all the rape scenes because this was the early 90s and there were many of them. Ooh, She's yeah. like, if it's folded over, just skip that part. It's terrible. You yep. just, just skip those pages and I'll, I'd like pick up a book and there'd be all these corners missing like, oh, not reading that. Did you discuss this with your mom? Like, why don't you like to read the sex scenes? Is it because of your faith? Is it because of your religious upbringing? Like, have you had a conversation or seven about this with her? Only about four million, yeah. Um, <laughs> it, she knows that I read things
1: that she wouldn't like. Um, and she also knows that I read things I don't agree with and don't find sexy and don't don't particularly enjoy. Um, but that I'm usually there for the whole book. And that's, you know, that's kind of what I do. And her response is that for her, it's not. It feels almost too private sometimes, that that's between those two characters.
0: Ah, uh, so she feels like she's intruding almost.
1: Sometimes. And sometimes she just honestly, she would like wrinkle her nose and say, I think that's gross. And if you find something oh. gross, it takes her out of the story. And so she'd ah. rather just not take the risk.
0: Ah, so she's either going to feel like she's intruding or... She is witnessing something that, in her mind, is much too private and shouldn't. She shouldn't be w- witnessing it, or there's going to be something that's portrayed that she finds a- abhorrent or frightening or rejects outright for one of many reasons. I don't think she would say frightening um, ah.
1: because there's nothing that there's. I mean, none of the books that she reads are. Like, my, my mother is not going to read an MMA book or a biker gang. None of us read paranormal. Um, mm-hmm. We're pretty, we're pretty straight down the middle. I mean, like our favorites are Nora and Sabrina Jeffries and Kristen Higgins. And I just got her turned on to Eloisa James um, and she, and Robin Carr and um, she loves Sarah Morgan, like kind of the more.
0: Cause they um, write some sexy sex scenes except for Kristen Higgins who closes the door.
1: Indeed and that's kind of what where this conversation actually started with my mother and I we were on a vacation last summer together I was still living in the UK and she came over to see me Um, And we were talking about a lot of the differences between romance novels in America and romance novels in Britain and Ireland Hmm. and I brought up the closed-door thing and I mean Kristen Higgins is right now. I think probably Who she would say is her favorite author Um, For a lot of reasons, she loves the funny, she loves the big goofy dogs. Like, she loves, she just loves how Kristen Higgins turns a phrase. I have read all of Kristen Higgins' books. My mother knows that she will still, while reading them, read me passages out loud that she loves (laughs) Um, because she wants me to enjoy this with her, um, which is wonderful. And um, so, we were talking about one of the other authors that she was reading, and she was just saying, I just skipped those scenes. And I said, Why is that, mom? And she's like, It's just too much that's not, and she kept stopping. And like, I could tell she was trying to be really textful and really kind because my mother is always kind. Um, and she just said, I just don't think that's what sex is. And that's, that's not, I want, how I want to, how I want to read about characters experiencing it. And I was like, okay, that's totally valid. Do you think that that's something that comes from your, your ideas of sex come from your faith and come from Christianity and come from the church. And, you know, I, I clearly named some specific things that we've talked about before. Right. And she said, yeah, because all, all of my ideas of marriage and all of my ideas and for my mother, sex belongs very primarily in marriage. Right. Um, so there it all goes back to that.
0: I love um, how your brain and my brain are very similar. Okay. Whatever works for you. How come?
1: Yeah. All God's children. Like, you know, I always describe whatever so floats your my... boat,
0: but I am dying to ask why. Cause I'm an incredibly exactly. nosy human being, no judgment, just terrible nosiness.
1: Yeah. We just, I mean, we professionally, we just call that a sociologist, you know?
0: (laughs) um, (laughs) Okay. I can take that. Yeah. I just, I mean, I spent five years
1: of my PhD just going, interesting. Could I ask you more about that? Huh?
0: Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting and fascinating are such, are, are incredibly deep and layered words too. Like in the Midwest, if something is interesting, that could be very bad. It could be very, very bad. Yeah, it
1: can be in academia too. The worst comments I ever get on articles is when someone goes interesting and it's like dot, 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 but I'm like, oh, Oh, there's the death knell.
0: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Two words and an ellipsis and you're raging angry. Yeah, it's
1: interesting. But I mean, so that just all, and I mean, I like I need to say my mother is, it would probably be mortified if she knew I was talking about her like this. Um,
0: I promise not to tell her.
1: And um, one of the greatest things that she has offered me then is this opportunity to understand that different people interact with romance novels in different ways um, and how and they interact with characters and they own it in themselves in different ways. And I've discovered that, across the board in all my various research and my conversations and my youth work and my social work is that people interact with art in really different ways.
0: Oh yes.
1: And they interact with narratives in different ways, but none of us are sole people who only ask, who only inhabit one aspect of our personalities. I mean, in sociology, we call it intersectionality, right? So I'm not just a woman, I'm a white woman who was born in America, who's married to someone who wasn't born in America and all of these intersections form to make sure who I am. Um, and so there's always women, I'm sure, and some dudes, I'm sure, who read romance novels, whose main intersection is that they were raised in faith-based homes mm-hmm. and may even still and probably found out about puberty through faith-based means of some fashion. So how does that interact with things? And so, I mean, as a, as a social scientist, you just kind of pick tiny slivers of questions and you ask that question for a little while, see what data it gives you, and then ask a different question and see what data it gives you. So the question I'm on right now is, does someone's religion affect how they read sex scenes?
0: I'm so. I find this particularly interesting just to think about because I converted from Episcopalianism to Judaism a uh, long-ass math time ago, uh, right, 1999. So a long time right. ago, and. We're still, you know, these these still the dominant cultural aspects of sexuality as portrayed in America are very heavily in, influenced by Judeo-Christian and specifically Christian um, perspectives.
1: And specifically Puritan, yeah. Yo,
0: just a little. Uh huh. Somebody yeah. somewhere did not. Did somebody's not having anything. an orgasm and they must be stopped. Yeah, um, God, <laughs>
1: literally, God forbid.
0: Yes, yes exactly. Yeah. So the idea, and there are times. When I don't want to read a sex scene, but it doesn't necessarily have to do with my own perspectives on sex, I'm more than happy to read some and dislike others, I get hung up on the language and the absence of dialogue
1: oh yeah yeah you know
0: it's a literary thing like if there's no talking Mm -hmm. or anything it's just like descriptions of where the body parts are going I'm like "Mm, flip flip okay you're talking again but I am entirely a dialogue person if there were more romance novels as plays I would be all over that
1: yes I mean I would say I've listened to every episode of this podcast and (laughs) I I um I align with your tastes very frequently um and the books that you like I tend to like except I don't go paranormal ever. Because I'm a gender researcher, and I have, um, I've, I can't, I, I'm completely taken out of the story if there's any sort of immediate sexual interaction without foreplay, and no conversation about if if she's physically comfortable or not. Um, and some of that comes from when I was a sex ed teacher, I had a couple students tell me that they didn't need condoms, they could just use like potato chip bags. What? Yeah.
0: No uh uh-huh. no no um,
1: like mars bars wrappers like no. oh and i just one one kid i mean this is in this is in the uk and this one boy i think he was probably He's putting
0: chips on his chippy then is that how you would say pretty that? much like i just looked at him and i was
1: like well salt isn't going to work that way buddy like, ouch he was like trying to tell me that like this particular crisp bag was was going to be best and i was like oh my gosh he was like or you know just cling film which is like saran wrap and i was no, like no no I just i was like oh god bless you and anyone i mean he's clearly all never actually tried this it was that bravado kind of thing oh I yeah was like, god bless you and the vaginas of any girl you ever interact with i just godspeed son is you this know, all out of a go. fear
0: of buying a condom like god forbid i'd be seen purchasing a, a condom
1: probably yeah Yikes. yeah and the fact that the particular area of the world that i was in didn't have comprehensive sex education
0: there's a lot um, of those areas in the US too, unfortunately. Yeah, so, so uh,
1: yeah, there are quite a few and God, yeah, and that's for me that also goes back to religion Our the way we talk about sex full stop in both the UK and the United States goes back to a really interesting and ill-informed understanding of the holy scripture's relationship with sex. And so we can we can twist it in that way to make it sound like it has to be only for procreation or for pun or, or if it's like enjoyment's never part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the entertain, the idea of contraception, therefore exists outside of the church's understanding of sex. Does that make sense? So it all goes back to religion for me. That's just my brain.
0: Right. So you started having these conversations with your mom about why she doesn't like to read the sex scenes. Yeah. And so I figured, but she doesn't like Christian romance
1: novels. Like, she can't do inspirational because it's too saccharine. She hates saccharine.
0: Huh. So she likes real people with with snarky potty mouths and no sex scenes. She really is a Kristen Higgins reader. reader.
1: Oh, she is, like, genetically engineered in a lab to love Kristen Higgins. 100%. Yep. Yep. Just, like, I think I'm genetically engineered in a lab to love Dane. It's, like, that's where I go. That's my happy place. Victoria Dahl and a couple others. Yeah.
0: Have you read uh, Zoe Archer or Eva Lee? They're, they're, the on my, they're on
1: the TBR, the ever-growing TBR. They
0: did a whole panel about subversive heroines at romantic times. Ugh. Basically, like, we we own our sexuality and we own our sexy times, and that's how we roll.
1: Yep, yep, it it totally worked. Yeah, so I just figured, um, and then I, I was talking to a couple other sociologists who study ideas of religion and women and things as such, and they were mentioning that there's been a whole lot of research done on women who read inspirational romance novels. Um, and particularly like the proliferation of um, buggies and bonnets. Oh, bonnet um, rippers.
0: Bonnet rippers. Yep.
1: Yeah. Um, that's the and joke. Like, there's term a, for them. there's a book called thrill of the chaste. Um,
0: thrill the, of a, the chaste
1: of the taste. Yeah. And that's an academic book about a study of women who enjoy and interact with inspirational romance novels.
0: Um, How did I miss this?
1: Well, you know, it's, it's, it's probably a little bit of a niche market, but just I mean, I a bit,
0: but I, that, that's, that's a title that would make my internal mental groundhog go, what? Yep. Give me now. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I was talking to this wonderful scholar. Her name is Rebecca Fox. She's, um, uh, and, uh, she was saying that, that from her knowledge of this world and this academic research that's being done, the, the stream that I was going down of mainstream of Christian women's Interaction with mainstream romance. What would that look like? She didn't know of anybody else doing it. So I did a little bit of a, a Google around and it didn't look like anybody else was asking the question. So I thought huh, I could ask the question um, and find out if my mom and I are the only people hmm. um, or if there's more people like us. And well, it's I the would... Internet.
0: So there's always more people who are into like into what you like.
1: Exactly. So I'm um, hoping that, um, you know, and if I find out that it doesn't interact with it at all, then that's also interesting and we move forward. Oh
0: so. yes. The absence of data is just as revealing as the presence of, qu- of specific data.
1: Yeah. And sometimes more so there's definitely projects I've done where I actually hope I get a negative response because that's st- statistically more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that's what, that's part of what I'm part of what I'm doing now. Um, as I'm, as I'm, uh, Poking around in the corners of romance landia and trying to figure out how I can um, interact with it as an academic.
0: So, wow. So, have you are you breaking this down by subgenre? Like, are you looking specifically at, at at certain subgenres or certain readers of certain subgenres? Are you open to all of them? Because the thing about romance is that there's a very wide variety of the amount of sex that you'll find in a book. Absolutely, this is just a really basic. I mean, a survey monkey. Like I'm just trying to get out as
1: far as I possibly can to get as much data as I possibly can. Um, I'm not attached to an inst- uh, to a university right now, mm-hmm. so um, some of the like more sophisticated data tools aren't quite at my disposal at the moment. So right. I'm to keep it real simple. Um, and so it's a 12 question survey, monkey. It's real quick, but I mean the questions are like, tell me your preferred like all, here's all the genres that you read, and I, I picked like the eight biggest that I could um, that are you know the that I'm seeing right now. I kind of poke around net galley and listen to podcasts and do things like that and then give you a check of other and you can fill in however else you define it. Um, and then how you, like around what age did you start reading romance novels? Do you identify as a person of faith? If yes, which one of these makes the most sense to you and what is your preference level of sex? And so like chaste, open door um, closed door, you know, and I erotica, and I give the you know descriptions as I define them to that, so that people aren't confused. Of um, and then do you read outside your preference level? Um, I mean, and one of them is I read all the things. Don't yeah. be, we- you know, I read all the things. I don't care, right? Um, because that's there's certainly that too. And the two kind of basic starter questions, you know, from my perspective, like that are going to launch the rest of the research is, do you, if you said that you are a person of faith, do you feel that it informs your preference level? And if you are a person of faith, would you feel comfortable telling the other people in your community of faith, the kind of books that you read? Why or why not?
0: Oh, that's interesting.
1: And then we'll see what comes, what they come back with. And then the the final question, as are all personally, my surveys always end with. And if you'd like to talk about this more, please let me know. Yeah. And so I will call you and we will talk. So we'll see, we'll see what we get. Uh, And hopefully we get some interesting information to just kind of also inform because this I mean, one of the other things that kicked this off for me was a podcast that you did. I have no idea when I was still living overseas. I remember puttering around my house um, when I was playing. But somebody was saying how there's no religion in romance novels, which seems insane because like there's so many Irish Catholics that they write about, but nobody ever goes to mass. Like religion is, in fact, a part of people's lives that is not often reflected in romance at all.
0: It's very strange. And the romance that is depicted have most heavily is Protestantism, but of a very its um,
1: conservative evangelical Protestantism. Usually, Well, it's, it's yeah. either
0: conservative evangelical Protestantism or it's a completely bland, unidentifiable Protestantism. They're going to go to church. They're going to celebrate Christmas, but there's not going to be any specific tell as to which particular Protestantism it is
1: yeah or if there's an actual impact of the faith on the characters yes that's another thing that
0: makes me baffled like all these sheiks running around not a single one of them takes a break to pray
1: like yeah like buddy like you have to you know they believe in watching you know even just like simple like are you doing your ablutions like what's going on but the you know what one I read recently that's actually really fascinating treatment of this is called key change by Barbara Valentin and he the hero is a organist in a local Catholic church Hmm. and the heroine is someone who has no interest in church whatsoever really but they strike a deal because you know whatever plot um that she has to come sing in his choir for a little while
0: huh
1: and it was so natural like it I loved it because I've worked in churches and so his navigation of staff
0: meetings was so (laughs) authentic oh Um, staff meetings yes
1: and it was such there was such a concern over what his congregants would think of this girl and their interaction and what it would do. It was like a, it was one of those slice of life books like I know someone who could have been in this story kind of thing. Uh, and it was so incredibly refreshing because there is almost no other books like that. Um, and so that's the also driving factor of this for me is that religious people probably don't see themselves in romance novels that often Um. If we want to talk about diversity in romance, there are other there are lots and lots of populations. I'm holding up my lighter. You can't
0: see me right now, but I'm actually holding up a cigarette lighter. <laughs> that's 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 why I wrote a Hanukkah novella because.
1: And I loved it, by the way. It was, it's oh. one of my favorite Hanukkah books. One of my favorite holiday books. Thank so. you.
0: There's, there's only like nine Hanukkah books total, I think. So I am super super pleased that you read it. Thank you. Yeah, you
1: are the only one. You are definitely the only Hanukkah romance I've ever read. But um, it is I absolutely adore it. I recommend it to my to friends all the time. Oh
0: so. geez, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn purple and start to like cry. Thank you. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. Yikes. I wrote that in part because I was really tired of not seeing any mention of Hanukkah, but also there one thing that makes me bonkers about this sort of mass appeal Christianity that is mm-hmm. constantly portrayed is that it doesn't really talk about people who interact with faith in very different ways. That don't necessarily mean going to a house of worship. Like so much of Jewish practice happens in the home. Like Mm -hmm. one of the things I like about it is the food and the fact that nine times out of ten, if I'm going to observe a holiday, I might not even have to put on real pants or shoes because I'm doing it at home.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, when I was in seminary, I went to a house church.
0: Oh, nice.
1: I mean, my last three, two years of seminary. Yeah. it It was in a living room. We read a book and there was always snacks and I never wore shoes. (laughs) <laughs> um, and See, then how many people would be
0: like, I'm going to church?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and we didn't even call it church. We called it, we stole a phrase from a book we all read together and called it something else, you know. So uh, we were really experimenting with what church could look like for us. But yeah, I mean, I uh, the emergent church movement where there's lots of people that walk labyrinths and are trying to bring body back into it in that way. You're right. I mean, so much of Jewish practice it is a private thing and a private idea of practice.
0: Yes, and it's also very home and ritual focused. And that's true yeah. of many other religions as yeah, well. Yeah. Hinduism.
1: Absolutely. And Buddhism is so internal. You really don't ever need to go to temple if you want to
0: in so many strands of Buddhism. No. it and, and the ways in which that type of cultural, religious infusion, because it's both, it's both a, a practical culture, a language culture, a, a food mm-hmm. culture, all of that infuses an individual's life. Mm-hmm. And you can't separate them out. Like you can't just be like, okay, well, she's only, she's only going to be practicing this particular part of her life in this particular location. No, it's kind of everywhere.
1: Yeah. And it's, I mean, I grew up evangelical Protestant and like during the crazy boom of professional Christianity in the nineties and aughts where there was all the rock music and the concerts and the t-shirts and everything else.
0: Yes. I was Um, at a uh, women's, I went to a women's un a women's college, and I okay. went. I was there from 1993 to 1997. Right. So it was a women's college. It was very small in Columbia, South Carolina, and it was a Methodist college. I had mandatory chapel my freshman year. I still have my little right. ticket book, and I remember all of the rock bands that yep. were that were so popular were all Christian rock bands. There was so much yep. jars of clay. I can't even tell you. Oh, I have so many. I have a couple of, like, selfies with jars of clay, yeah. Okay. So
1: I get <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> I get you. Yeah, I worked at a music festival uh, for one of those for, like, four years. So I was super into that world. And one of the things that I was always frustrated about is that no one ever looked like me in the books that I read. No one ever was having the, the, the struggles that I was having. No one was ever as frustrated by the things that I was frustrated by because – while and like, I completely respect that I'm still like a white Christian girl in America, so I should shut up. It's still a challenge to still feel like you're a little bit on the outside. And so I'm really fascinated with this idea that we have a assumption, it, it seems in the publishing world, and this is in Hollywood too, like in how we create public art in America, that everyone is, is just about middle class because you can't be too rich because then we're pissed at you and you can't be too poor because then we don't want to deal with you. And everybody is nominally Protestant. You were probably baptized somewhere, but it doesn't really affect your life. You don't really do anything because God forbid anyone have an active faith and then you're weird.
0: Right. Because then if you have an active faith, in some way you are unreasonable. Yeah, and threatening. Threatening Mm -hmm. or just easily dismissed as... As as accepting whatever you're told and not questioning it. Yeah, the number of times. Yeah, (laughs) the number of times
1: I've been told that I'm brainwashed. I'm like, "Mm, am I though? Like, I've got a doctorate, so I'm pretty sure I've had to think about some things.
0: Are you still uh, evangelical Protestant, or have you moved into a different faith group? No,
1: I would be. I'm more. um, I would still claim Protestantism, um, but I would be probably pretty moderate to liberal. I'm a member of an Episcopalian church now even like when I look back onto adolescence and I'm very critical of the things that I was told in adolescence, I've written against it. Um, I've certainly tried to deal with some of the things that I was taught, which I find to be now questionable at times, I'm still not super comfortable with the word brainwashing. Um, because I also think it, there are people that were brainwashed and that really like disrespects them, um, mm-hmm. And there are people that escape from cults, and they have much different baggage than those of us who have just walked away willingly from evangelical Protestantism. Who don't we generally can't. come after you. No, they're pretty nice to us. It's a lot of the people who were raised, um, I think, by people who were – they were raised by people who were raised in the church and have their own baggage, um, which is fine. Baggage is fascinating. It's how I make money if you'll talk to me about it. So I'm not really um, – that that frustrated with it, but all of this goes all of this idea of identity and identification at intersections goes back to why I want to know this question. Because so, one of the things I find about romance novels that I love is that we all read about a ton of se- a ton of kinds of sex we're never going to
0: have. Oh yes,
1: it's and true.
0: Sex in space. Yeah. Werewolves. Yeah. Yep. hmm.
1: I read. I reviewed a book a couple months ago about like a Norse god. Like I don't know any of those. Um, my husband certainly isn't one.
0: So. <laughs> Are you sure? Um,
1: Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a lovely little leprechaun. So um, (laughs) he goes he goes the other end of the spectrum. But and I by the way, my husband loves it when I read him passages out loud that are funny, because he just I mean, he dies laughing at some of the descriptions. But um, (laughs) it's, I figure that of all of the groups of humans in the world, romance, like readers are the most used to reading things that they don't fully identify with and still
0: going, okay, cool. That's a really interesting idea because in another aspect, and I don't mean interesting in a bad way. I mean, romance readers are, for example, notoriously hard on the heroine. Oh God, yeah. You know, She has to be identifiable, but not too much. Um, And whereas the hero, we will tolerate all kinds of terrible behavior from the hero because he's the hero. Absolutely. And so there's this deep identification and then lack of identification at the same time.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I call it the Logan Eccles effect. Like, if I had a friend who was <laughs> Veronica Mars, I would lie in front of moving vehicles before I would let her ever date Logan Eccles. But, like, on the show, as a fictional person, he's the only one I wanted her to, to end up with.
0: He was... I think, I think he was the only one who was as much a determined, self-actualized person as she was. Yeah. She and was it- his own, only equal in a lot of ways. Absolutely. But
1: I just think like, if I was sitting over drinks with her, I'd be like, no. So babe, y'all like, that's a lot of bad. Do you want to be a therapist or do you want to be a wife? What are you thinking about here? Um, <laughs> but like, I totally go with it in the plot. And I think there's a lot of books like that too, where we are, we are very hard on the heroine, Absolutely. And I think there are times that we are too hard on the heroine. I agree um, with you there. Because like crying, different people are different, man. Take a deep breath. Um, but if we still put ourselves in situations that we're never going to read like from my limited understanding of publishing and readers outside of romance because i will completely admit this is my home Mm -hmm. this is where i live this is what i love other people don't read about as many different other genre readers i should say don't read about as many varieties of different things as we do with maybe the exception of fantasy or sci-fi but it's still pretty like it's still a little bit, I don't know, more down the road. Like if you read a, if you read category and then you go to like Sonali Dev and then you go back to Kristen Higgin and then you take a then you go into paranormal. If you're someone who dips into a lot of the different things. Oh, they may. You yeah. And I would from my colloquial knowledge of of you know, reading Twitter feeds and things like that, that's actually a lot of readers. Oh yeah. I think most people genre hop. My friends that read that don't read romance, that just read like what they buy at Barnes and Noble, do not genre hop. You know, they pretty much read the same kinds of stories. Literary fiction is not a genre hopping type thing. I mean, the, the stuff that wins the Booker Prize is the same, you know, everybody's depressed kind of. They finish sentences in the middle of sentences and stare <laughs> into the middle distance every single year versus like romance novels where everybody everybody jumps around. So I my other part of my hypothesis is that as a romance novel reader, I'm pretty used to reading about people's lives that I don't identify with. I have never, been, for instance, been a cupcake baker in a small New England town, but I have read probably 300 books about cupcake bakers in oh, either easily. the the Rockies or a small New England town. Um, I am not, you know, so there's there's all that kind of stuff too. So if I'm used to doing that, if I'm used to putting myself into somebody's shoes, do I do that with the sex scenes as well?
0: Huh. It's really interesting because I also look at the the the, at the sameness, the aspects of similarity between all the genres. The story is still a, the same structure. It's just what gets mm-hmm. filled in that's so different, and those differences can be substantial. Yes, yeah. I mean,
1: the the structure is what provides us comfort, right? Yeah. The structure is what makes us feel like we're safe. Yep. And I'm one of those, I'm one of those reviewers that I'll get on a soapbox pretty quickly if it's, if your series is a series that I have to read the whole thing and you don't tell me that and you want to drop me in at series, at book four, because then that's a, for me, that's a marketing decision and not a relationship between the author and the, and the reader. Like if you put a line in the front of your thing and you're like, listen, this is book four, you are not going to understand a single thing unless you read book one. I get that. I respect that. But if you drop me in a book four and I don't understand what's going on, I don't feel safe. You've broken contract with me and I don't know what to do and I don't know the map and I don't know the characters and I don't know what it is. Um, And so I really value the people who can do that really fine line of writing a really big world and writing things that could totally be a standalone, but then are richer when they're part of a series Um, versus other stuff where you have to read it from the beginning and you don't tell me that. Like one of my favorite authors right now is Cecilia London. She's independent. Um, And she's writing the Bellator saga. And at the beginning of every single one of the books, it says you cannot start here. Huh. You cannot start here. You have to start at the beginning. And she is so invested in that, that she was for a long time giving away the first one for free on Amazon. Well, yes, that, that, that would make sense. Exactly. I mean, so, I mean, but it's, so she wants to build a world that's huge and big and varied and variety, and she can't keep build. she can't keep producing new people in. in. You know, She doesn't want to keep like producing episodes of House. <laughs> she wants to do Game of Thrones. Right. Um, and so you have to, there's a contract with the, with the reader there. And I know there's other people that this doesn't bother. Everybody has a hobby horse. This is one of mine in particular. But the contract is a really important thing with the reader, um, which is why I think we're seeing all this hubbub about that now, Romance is defined by the happily ever after. And if you don't give me the happily ever after, I am not comfortable with it being called a romance because you've then broken the contract.
0: Right. And that's the, that's the expected agreement between the reader and the, and the author, which is also why you see so many reviews that warn people about a cliffhanger. Yep. Like you have to know there's a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. It's, and it, it really ticks me off when there's a cliffhanger for no reason. Other than it's ending here. Like nothing is resolved even partially. We're just going to stop. Like, no, no, please don't. I like the yeah. end. That's why I'm here. I like the yeah. end. This yeah, is also why I don't end. trust TV writers because there is no end. That's fair. But please tell
1: me you are involved with Jane the Virgin. Oh, yes. Good. Okay. That's fine. That's
0: acceptable. Well, I mean, that's a very... D- Although I will say this. I was super bummed when they renewed it for, second, for a second season. Because mm-hmm. I was like, it's... it's it is a send-up of the telenovela. Yeah. Having perfect. an end is part of the telenovela. You know how many episodes you're in for. You know how long it's going to be. You know exactly how long the story is going to be in and when the end is. And so when you extend it and there is no end, I was I was pretty pissed off. That's fair. I can see that. Yep. Yeah. I mean, especially because it is, it is dwelling so heavily in that particular genre, which has an end. Same with, um, for example, Korean dramas. Yes. There's an end. The story has an end point and then it's done. It's one of the things that I've been, I mean, my,
1: my husband is um, Northern Irish. And so he grew up watching Irish television and British television. And he talks all the time about the Americanization of British television. And that oh. drives him insane in that when he was growing up, Broadchurch would have been one season, done, that's it, done.
0: And written by one
1: guy. And written by one dude. And, like, it would have been, that's it, we're done. And he completely, I mean, because we are people that think that Broadchurch did not, was not particularly strong in its second season. And we're not really looking forward to season three, even though we'll watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just looked at each other in the middle of season two and was like, they're only doing this so that, it like, the money aspect of it and the Americanization of that you can just keep telling stories. Um And it's really frustrating. And we are on a massive rabbit trail right now.
0: (laughs) I can completely understand. People down them. and, Um, And it's fascinating because the way that we consume narratives is changing so quickly. Yes. Like... Even, even within fanfic commun- communities, there are all these jokes about how you discover the fic that is all of the things that you want. It's every hook and the conflict, and it's not done, and it hasn't been updated in two years, and you know it's probably abandoned, but you can't stop yourself from reading it, even though there's no end. Yep. Yep. I yep. mean, that's a very particular kind of agony. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. When I, I
1: mean, I... I started, I like started probably my fan interaction with television and books and things doing fanfic when I was in high school and college. And when I was on fanfiction.net, my immediate filter would be finished because I can't handle
0: unfinished.
1: It just, it bought, it just like, okay, well, do it or don't do it. But it bothers me. But that's me. Like, I'm also, but I'm also someone who's okay reading series mm-hmm. that um, I have like f- decent hope will, you know, will end. Um, but I'll also quit TV shows in the middle of the season. I'm not like Tara Ariano on extra hot Great. I won't stop stuff in like the middle of the episode. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, that is a very special skill.
1: It's a very special skill that that woman has. And, but I will, I, I broke up with how I met your mother, three seasons, five, four or five seasons, maybe even before it ended. And
0: yeah, um, I broke up with that one too. And yeah. and when, when we, when the end happened and you know, cause it's funny, my husband and I were talking about this last night. He needs closure. Even if he doesn't like it, he needs to see and experience the end. And until there is no firm closure, it's not over. And I'm like, I'm perfectly happy to be done with this show. And so the fact that there are like two shows that we both like three now is amazing because we never like the same things because I'm always like, they don't know where they're going. They're just going for the sake of going. There is no reason to keep watching it. These characters are boring and the jokes aren't doing anything. Yeah. Like, there's no development here. And he's like, yes, but it's not over. And I'm like, it's never going to be over. Yeah, I
1: can't. I'm not a bitter ender. My husband definitely is as well. And so there are things where, like, he just saves them on the DVR for when I'm out.
0: Yes, Um, that's exactly what he does.
1: I'm completely over it. And I don't really even care. And if I cared a little bit, I would read a recap on the internet somewhere. And that's it. Because I... Because for me, what that means is if you've lost your way, you're going to break the contract with me, and it's possible that the contract you have with me is not the contract that you really wanted to write. Like for how I met your mother, I realized in the middle of it that they're making a different show than I thought they were making. Yeah, and I'm not interested in that show. Nope. And so that's why, like, you know, I think romance and um, and even like crime fiction and things like that are a lot more are consumed at a much higher and more popular rate than these TV shows. Because we know what we're getting into and they're going to keep that contract with us. Like that killer is going to die or get caught at the Mm -hmm. end of that thriller. Done. Yep. The couple in romance is going to get together or you're going to get a whole lot of people who are going to be really upset calling it a romance.
0: Yes,
1: it's true. And you have that safety net. And so you can lose yourself in the vicarious narrative.
0: And I also have a very limited number of shows where I have seen evidence that the writers are not only developing the characters, but remember the developments that they've assigned. And so the characters are consistent and they grow. Like, that's a rare thing, too, because otherwise you get sort of like, here are six characters recycling the same six jokes every episode for the next five years. And they yes. don't, and and you know who who gets with who and who breaks up with who is really the only thing that changes. Like I remember doing this with Beauty and the Beast with Linda Hamilton and Ron Perlman. Oh my gosh, yes. Okay, she's not dead in no. my world. She is okay, perfectly fair. alive, and it ended fine. And um, it's a perfectly acceptable happy ever after. They they live underground, and things are great.
1: That's fine, yeah, because for me, um, the West Wing ended at season four. The last three seasons, I don't know what people are
0: talking about. Oh, yeah, it's like that other Matrix movie that didn't happen. Yeah, there's just a lot of that. And it's funny that my my, my kids are the same way. Like, they love Steven Universe, which is a truly amazing show in so many ways. But one of the ways is that it it maintains its consistency. OK, so the characters develop and they change and things happen and then those changes continue to affect them. So if two characters are having a fight and they're angry at each other, that tension exists for the next few episodes. And the, the show is doing this in 11 minute storylines. It's incredible. But the same is true of like, um, for example, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I love that show. It, the same thing. The characters, the, the things that happen to them in prior episodes affect them in later episodes cause yeah. logical human development.
1: Yeah. And like, and like back to Jane, the Virgin, that's one of the other things I really appreciated, especially about the first season less than the second is that the relationship between uh, Abuela, Zoe and Jane were, was so rich, but also that all that their interactions with Catholicism were so both authentic and distinct for each character.
0: Oh yes. Yes. And Abuela really represents what you're studying.
1: Oh um, yes, absolutely. And so does Jane. Yeah. Like, this is going to sound strange, but like one of the things that I, my friends and I were, my, some of my colleagues and I have been talking about is how interesting it is to us that the two most recent bachelors have identified as evangelical.
0: Oh.
1: And that this most recent bachelor actually, I mean, he has a tattoo of a Bible verse on his rib, goes to a pretty decent sized, like, it sounds like church in his hometown. Mega you know, church. I, me, yeah. I mean, mega by like, some standards like this. One of the churches that I knew about in college is twenty one thousand people. So
0: oh god, as an introvert, that makes me want to crawl under my desk. Yeah, we used
1: to call it Six Flags over Jesus. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um. Six Flags over Jesus. Yeah. Oh god, <laughs> I'm crying. <laughs> yeah,
1: very. That's one of the yeah evangelicals. We can make fun of ourselves better than most people actually can. Um. So, yeah, anyway, but he still took all three women to the fantasy suite
0: yeah. and in, like the
1: evangelicalism in mainstream America, like he should be shunned and that should be really awful. Now, if a girl evangelical did that, that would be mm-hmm. like, even- let's, we can't even, we don't have time to get into the gender disparities of religion and mm-hmm. Protestantism, but like whatever. Um. So all of this is going along and we're like, is it the shift in, in like younger millennial understandings of evangelicalism? Because Jane would be on that spectrum. She's a younger millennial understanding of Catholicism. Where she still, I think, holds to some sort of faith. It's still important to her. It would be really important that Matteo is baptized. And I guarantee you, if it keeps going, it'll be really important that he makes his first, his first communion and gets confirmed. Like, she will go to Mass probably more often than just Christmas Eve, if this is a real, authentic person. Mm-hmm. But the sexual, like understandings of femininity and saving oneself are different than from her abuela,
0: right? Because her, her, her abuela is the source of sort of the, the, um, the flower motif of the whole show. Exactly. That once it, you crush your flower, you cannot get it back. Which is absolutely
1: what I was told at so many conferences growing up at like true love weights and stuff like that. And all of those really problematic, awful, you know, um, analogies that are used for this kind of thing
0: and teens being so um teenager e well like well we'll just have anal it'll be fine yeah i remember the really the fun
1: moment where i did tell parents like it the 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 people who took the true love weights pledge are this like a statistically really high population for sexually transmitted diseases because no one ever talked to them about anal or oral Yep. And like parents blinking at me and re- and like you could tell that a lot of them it like had never occurred to them that that was even sexual intercourse to begin with. And it's like, oh, we got to dial it back even further here. Yes. OK, you need sex ed, too. Awesome. Like, let's keep going here. Oh, boy. So, so who
0: are you doing this study for? Because you mentioned that you're not you're not affiliated with a university. Are you I'm looking not. to do research for your own project or yes. is this part of something else? Nope. It's my own stuff. So you are a determined academic. Independent researcher. Yes. Mm-hmm. I... So and I
1: run a research firm as well, a concierge research firm for small businesses and small nonprofits. Huh. Um, so I'm also just trying to build our, our own database and research knowledge and and our own stuff. So um, I kind of I try to help small businesses and small s- smaller nonprofits who don't have the money for some of the bigger firms. Um, but who have a question to to ask that
0: mm-hmm. I can help
1: answer? So that
0: makes sense.
1: Yeah. So but no, it's my own. It's my own bag. That's very cool. Yeah. I, I like it. I like being independent. I miss the university, but academia is a interesting place at the moment. Interesting, eh? So yes. Mm.
0: I'm it's happy, something.
1: Happy to be adjacent to it at the moment.
0: Well, I mean, I remember being told when I was in graduate school that my desire to study uh, what I didn't realize was the intersection at the time because okay. that word was not a word I'd heard yet, but I wanted to study the intersection of feminist literary theory and romance novels. Mm. Um, and specifically the idea of the Sedgwickian Triangle where two yeah. men establish homoerotic and homosocial. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Homo social something. There's a word that I can't remember. Either way, two dudes are interested in each other and they use a woman as a conduit. To express yes. their homo homosocial erotic desire thank you it's tired brain is tired so I, I was told that it was inappropriate for me to study romance novels and so yep. I, I sort of look back and go well I didn't get my graduate degree but I sure did it anyway sorry did it on my own haha thank you internet <laughs> yeah
1: oh absolutely the guardians of academia are um, very limiting and so it's uh, I was given the tools and I mean, I have, I have research degrees and I'll be using that, you know, to, to contribute to the Academy for sure. Like I'll probably write this up and give it back to a, to a journal. Um, cause this is the kind of knowledge that, that we need in the Academy as well. But I also want, there's so much knowledge in the Academy that we do not translate out Yep. because some academicians are trapped by tenure, um, needs and a whole lot of other things out. And they just don't have the time to communicate it out. And, and I am committees. Lots of communities. I have no committee and I'm really um, lucky and blessed that I can kind of straddle both worlds. So hopefully I can produce something that will be really helpful for the Academy and people studying romance, uh, the growing community of people studying romance within the Academy, but as well, people like yourself who aren't going to buy an academic journal, but who really want to know about the social and political um, and cultural implications of intersectionality with romance novels so that's kind of my hope is to be able to bridge
0: you've met um jen lois and joanna gregson right i've met them through your podcast i've never talked to them no. okay because they're the other sociologists that i'm most familiar with who yeah. are studying the specifically the community of women and the sociology of that community and also the stigma attached to reading and writing romance
1: yeah they do a fantastic they
0: do fantastic work Oh, it's so cool. Every time they yeah. talk, I'm like, "Oh my gosh, that's that there's a name for that thing, that thing that we do. that's a, that. there's a name. Holy cow. That's uh, it's
1: largely sometimes what I feel like my job is as a sociologist is someone will tell me a story, I'll be like, right. Okay, so if you ever want to read more about this, the word you want to use is, is this, yes,
0: because we say it this way. It's an entirely different language, yeah, for things that people do every day.
1: Correct. Correct.
0: And I think sometimes we make
1: it up just to um, have new words to say so that there's new uh, keywords at conferences. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much
0: what we do. So one last question for you. Please. Any books that you have read recently that you are dying to tell people to read? Well, the one that I read, I mentioned
1: earlier that the Bellator Saga by Cecilia London. Mm -hmm. um, It's so it's she just published the well, she's about to publish the fourth I think on Tuesday, mm-hmm. and it's a dystopian America. Oh, but not like post-apocalyptic. Just like um, essentially, Donald Trump became president, and then what happened? But it's it's dystopian erotica.
0: My 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 stomach just turned very sour. <laughs> uh huh.
1: That's why it's dystopia. Yeah. So it's two politicians, Caroline and Jack, who are part of the resistance, and you in flashbacks and flash forwards are shown how they come together and are also trying to save America but it's deep and rich and the writing is insane and the sex is kindle meltingly hot. And so that's one of the ones that I really, really, really recommend to people. Anyone who's like up for a really, long story like they're all you know 400 pages and the whole thing will be over by the end of the year or early next year she says that's one of my recommendations for like people who are looking for really deep kind of adulty themes Mm -hmm. kind of stuff then i mean just to also like signal boost if anyone who's listening to here hasn't already heard that you need to be reading sonali dev then please 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 be reading sonali dev she's amazing Um, yeah and then just from the Irish perspective, because the other thing I originally emailed you about was a whole bunch of Irish authors that people don't really always know about. Yes, um, because
0: the romance portrayal of Ireland is not. Is Irish Disneyland. It's yeah. a, a, a Irish Disneyland. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um,
1: so there's a lot of reasons for that. And there's a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of romance novels set in, in contemporary Ireland. And there's even less written by Irish people. Um, they do a whole lot more lit. Um, So where there will be a happy ending, but it's usually a lot more with um, like middle-aged folks who are finding themselves again or empty nest women or women finding a happily ever after in their friendship with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if anyone is like, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll ditch the happily ever after for a book. I just want Ireland. Like I just really contemporary good Ireland. you need to be reading Marion keys. And if you don't need to, don't know where to start because she's got a gajillion uh, first of all, you can start with her YouTube channel because she's hilarious. She posts vlogs, um, but the best place to start is Sushi for Beginners by Marion Keyes um, is one of is one of her best works. And then of course Cecilia Ahern, who if people don't know that PSI Love You was once a book, it was in fact a book and it yes. was written by Cecilia Ahern. So there are two of the big ones um, to know about writing about contemporary Ireland. But again, searching for that happily ever after is going to be um, going to be a little bit elusive. I know Suzanne O'Leary is writing, um, she's a couple books on Amazon, the Carrie Romance series, Um, I think they're a box set that she does right now, and that's, she is an actually authentic Irish person writing Irish romance. I've only read the first one and I really enjoyed it, but I'm told that it just, it is just as delightful as you move Move on, but beyond that, I'm reading um I finished a really lovely one by aaron McCartney McCarthy McCarthy called Heartbreaker about two Nashville folks, and that one is like um there's a, a sex in that one too that is oh, that is an open door mm-hmm. a very, very open door if we're talking about my research language. there must and, be a
0: lot of specific language that you use also when you talk to your mom, oh oh,
1: yeah, I'll just tell her I just read something that you it's not your your cup o t. <laughs> And she'll go, okay. And then I introduce her to other people. Like I've just introduced her to Sarah Mayberry, and she's really into that right now. And super, she, she's also one of those people, by the way, when she reads an author, authors love, you know, just hear this. There are a lot of women that do this, I'm learning. She just goes onto the internet and buys the entire back catalog and yep. puts them in a pile and then just reads down the pile. Yep. Um,
0: yeah. Glomming so, is a thing that she, absolutely happens. We are the original binge watchers,
1: I think, us romance novel folks.
0: Uh, we're up there, yeah. No yeah. question. Yeah.
1: Um, And then there's a a cute little one that um, is, is again, bordering on happily ever after, but is really a different kind of romance novel. It's called Without Borders by Amanda Hager. And it's about a girl who goes and does a, um, like, study abroad before grad school kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. she ends up becoming a doctor, like, she goes with a doctor, a medical mission, not a religious one, Mm -hmm. but a medical mission in Nicaragua. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, fall, I mean, falls for the dude that's there. So it's a cross-cultural thing, but you also get some of the really hard things about medicine in rural Nicaragua. So if you're like an insider baseball kind of, I love process books.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, they have long conversations about, okay, when do you intervene in villages and when do you not? And how does that affect the character? Um, and that one's been, that's one that I have been recommending to a lot of folks who are looking for something that's still the contract and something that's still good but just a little bit outside of deck chairs or boaters or motorcycle gangs um and that would be my that would be another one i'm recommending right now which is without borders by amanda hager does
0: it have a happy ending
1: it does it's a very rushed one i'll give you and i said this in my review it the epilogue you know that they're going to get together they have a big conflict they end up having sex at the end and the epilogue's a little rushed, but there's a definitive happy ending. I'm hearing from some readers that they don't think it's quite as realized as they would have liked, but it is her debut novel. Um, and so I think she's only going to grow strength to strength from there.
0: This is very cool. <laughs> I'm looking at the listing for the book and I'm like, oh, I see.
1: Yeah, it's really different. And I've done a lot of cross-cultural stuff and there's stuff about the heroine's inner journey that, God, she just nails right on ahead. head. Um, and that the differences between the two of them. I'm I'm in a cross cultural marriage, and I mean my he's not my husband is not a Nicaraguan doctor. Um, but there's cross cultural stuff there. Again, she just nails. Wow.
0: Um,
1: and there's not again for some of the same reasons that I think we all started recommending a Bollywood affair. Yeah.
0: Like this
1: is a world I know nothing about. This is characters I've never met. These are oh my gosh, okay, I want to dive in this world and swim, and swim around for a little while. I mean I. I read – I'm on my, like, 200th book of the year already. Like, I read obsessively. We Without Borders has stayed with me. Wow. All the ones I just mentioned are ones that have stayed with me across some other folks that haven't. And so I'd really – um just, and then some of it's just my taste, you know, this is, but without borders, um, Annie is the heroine and she'll stay with me for a little while. I've been Annie before in my life. And then if anyone's listening to this and is super into it, when you get to the scene with the birth in the cabin, message me and we can talk about it. Cause that's quite a piece of writing. So,
0: okay. And that is all for this week's episode. I want to thank Dr. Donnelly for hanging out with me and talking all about her research. If you're curious about the survey, you can find a link to take that survey at smartpitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. This episode was sponsored by Love Swept, publishers of Good Girl by bestselling author Lauren Lane. In this steamy novel, country music's favorite good girl hides away from the world and finds herself bunking with the guy who makes her want to be a little bad. Noah should really tell Jenny Dawson that he's Preston Noah Maxwell Walcott, the owner of the estate where the feisty country singer has made her spoiled self at home. But the charade gives Noah a much-needed break from his own troubles, and before long, their verbal sparring is indistinguishable from foreplay. But as sizzling nights give way to quiet pillow talk, Noah begins to realize that Jenny's almost as complicated as he is. To fit into each other's lives, they'll need the courage to face their problems together before the outside world catches up to them. You can find Good Girl by Lauren Lane on sale wherever ebooks are sold. Every episode gets a transcript, and this episode's transcript is brought to you by Everything Under the Heavens, book one of Silk and Song by Dana Stabenow. Joanna is fleeing her homicidal stepmother in Combalac, the storied city of Kublai Khan, and setting out on the Silk Road with companions Joffrey and Shasha in search of her fabled grandfather, Marco Polo. You can find everything Under the Heavens for free on Amazon, Kobo, and iTunes, and 99 Cents on Barnes & Noble. And now it is time for a little bit of fun. If you've sponsored or supported the podcast on Patreon, one of the reward levels is a random compliment from me, which is most heartfelt, at the end of every episode, and I've got five compliments. Are you ready? This is for Kendall B. Kendall, you are more adorable than 99.99% of all kittens. Jane H. Your friends took a survey and you're the bestest one and you have the best pants. For Brie. Your thoughtfulness is world famous as is your snark and also your brownies. Catherine M. You are the best kind of weird. Everyone thinks so. And for Carolyn, whose husband made sure that I thanked the right person. If you had a coat of arms, it would just say awesomeness. And if you're curious as to what this is about, or you're thinking, I could totally go for a silly compliment, please have a look at our Patreon at patreon.com slash smartbitches, and have a look at the various levels of supporting the show. I'm hoping to do transcripts of all of the episodes that currently don't have one, and if you give a little bit of help for that, I will most definitely compliment you in a very strange and random, but as I said, most heartfelt way. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. This is Pete Fairies from their album, Blackhouse. And this track is called Chatham Lassies. You can find it on Amazon, iTunes, or wherever you like to buy your music. Future podcasts will include me talking to people about romance novels because that's how we roll. If you've got ideas or suggestions or feedback, please feel free to email me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. But in the meantime, on behalf of Dr. Kristen Nielsen Donnelly, myself and everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend.